0: Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Monday, January 13th, 2014. And today, we are going to be talking to two individuals about an upcoming project. So, who do we have on Skype today?
1: Hey, this is Robert Burke of Robert Burke Games.
2: Yeah, and you've got Richard Lanius, uh, designer of several games, but probably most known are Arkham Horror, Elder Sign, and Defenders of the Realm.
1: So we've
0: got these two individuals with us today. Robert and Richard are joining us to let us know about a new project that they're collaborating on and that will be joining Kickstarter soon that we can look forward to. But, of course, before we go there, let's uh, have conversations with Robert and Richard and get to know them a little bit. Usually I have a couple upfront questions that I ask. I'm going to probably skip over those because we've got a lot that we can get into, especially with two of you here. So let's start with Robert. What got you into wanting to be in the game industry?
1: Well, what got me into it was a little different than most people. I kind of had an idea. For a game before I was even back in the hobby. You know, I've always played games back in college, Dungeons and Dragons, and was never really deep into the Avalon Hill stuff, but I played some of that, but fell out of it for a long time. And then, you know, I was painting these creatures for a long time, and that's uh, what when my game Cartuna came about. I just had an idea to put these cartoon creatures I had been doing into a game format so that people could build these cartoon characters on their own. So I I developed that game and built a rule set and launched it on Kickstarter and got it published. And that kind of set me on a road to discovering all these other games. (laughs) So I've kind of fallen down the rabbit hole, so to speak, and have gotten back into the, the hobby pretty big time. And, of course, it's just made me, since since designing a game is a creative endeavor and I'm a very creative person and my job, my full time job is not a real creative job. It's really become my outlet to let my creativity out. So I've, I've really uh, gone into it full force over the past few years.
0: You kind of said it, but you basically still have a full time job and then do game design slash publishing on the side. Yes. And Richard, you know, you've already kind of talked about a couple of your well-known credentials but what made you decide uh, back in in your early days and I believe you kind of started with on the RPG side if I'm recalling correctly uh, what made you decide to kind of hey I can I I want to do this
2: well I just always wanted to design games that uh, that I wanted to play and I I kind of did that even as a teenager and yes I, I did some role-playing stuff kind of how I originally got into it and then I sprung from role-playing over to board games and then from board games to some computer games and back to board games and it's really always been a hobby for me up until really the last 4 or 5 years after I retired from AT&T so so now I'm doing it full time at this point but for that time I just and I kept the same philosophy design a game I want to play and seem like uh, while there's a lot of great games out there every time I play one I think you know this is close but this isn't exactly what I'm looking for so I would, you know, just go design a game and, and play with friends, and ultimately uh, showed that to some people and started getting some games published.
0: Richard, I got to ask you this: how do, you've kind of you kind of have hit a dream slash goal of a lot of game designers, and and what that goal that I'm talking about is. While Arkham Horror, I wouldn't consider a gateway game there is a very large majority of people that can point to that game as one of the ones that got them into the board game side. So as a designer, how does that feel to know that that design is one that's getting people into that side of gaming?
2: Oh, I think it's, it's always great when, you know, you're with people and they, they really love the game and it's brought them into gaming and, and they play other games. But I tell you that the best thing for me is just to to meet some people at a convention and, that want to play my games and, and we play games and have fun that's to me that's still the most fun thing about this whole thing so
1: yeah and jeff i can i can tell you mm-hmm. that when richard says that he absolutely means it because that's how i met richard was at a gaming convention got to play some games with him you know and i felt comfortable enough with him to to show him this design we're talking about tonight so he really is a one of those designers that's out there with with the people so very very cool
0: and you know, Robert, on on your end, uh, you were talking about Cartuna that helped you get into the publishing side as well as the game design side. How did that feel for you? Because that was your baby, essentially the you, you know the thing that's brought you into this side of the industry. And it was very well received and it was very successful on Kickstarter. So how was that feeling for you to kind of, kind of cross over there?
1: Well, it felt, it felt great for a lot of reasons. You know, it felt great because I put so much work, not just into the game, but ran the Kickstarter myself and did all that. So it was when games finally came in and I saw them on shelves, it was really a fantastic feeling because that idea that I had, that spark of an idea that I had, or I sat down in my room and painted know, hundreds of wooden blocks to create this prototype, to see it actually become something and get out there was just, it was very cool. And it, it kind of is something that brought me deeper into wanting to do this more because, um, you know, to see an idea come to life and become a reality is it's a, it's a, it's just a cool thing.
0: Richard, you've been uh, designing for quite a while now and you say you uh, want to design games that you want to play yourself. But beyond that, do you have a design process that you follow, or is it dependent on the game?
2: It really depends on the game. I mean, I, I, I mean, it starts with an idea, and I say, you know, I, I like to do adventure type games. Kind of best way I can describe it is, role players can very much relate to this. But you know, I want to be the hero in that movie. I want to be the, the, the star or whatever. So I, th- I think about games on those terms. So I, I tend to do adventure games, whether they be horror or, or fantasy or sci-fi. They're, they're about the characters most of the time. And that's where I like to focus on the games. And that's why I do a lot of co-op games, because I really like the idea of, you know, getting into the character and letting the game act as the, the keeper or, or the, the game master.
0: And Robert, you've been designing stuff for a while now. Do you have a process yet or are you still kind of developing a process or is it going to depend on the game for you as well?
1: Yeah, it it definitely depends on the game and it's really for me it's the idea that pushes the design process for me. So, you know, depending I always have an idea for a game. It's usually a general thing, it's usually a passion, something I'm very passionate about. And once I get it in my mind that that would make a fantastic game, then I get about the work of, of designing around that, that theme and, and that idea that I originally had. So that's really the only thing that's been driving me so far.
0: So Robert, for you, you did the Kickstarter for Cartoona and it was successful and you, you were able to bring your design to other players. What made you decide to do also the publishing side?
1: <laughs> well because i didn't know any other way <laughs> it's, it's basically it you know like i said i was i was out of the hobby i was not in the board game industry at all and not only was i not in the board game industry i was not in the board game community i was not playing games i did not go to a convention in my life so i didn't have any of those kind of connections at all so for me it was kind of a hey if i'm going to do this i've got to I've got to do the publishing myself, um, and I hooked up with Game Salute on Cartuna. But then my newest game that I just did, called Battle for Souls, I just kind of partnered with Cool Stuff Inc., and they did a fantastic job. And I, I've got no copies of that left. I've, you know, they I sold them all through them. So it's something that I think I'm going to continue to to try to do. It's a little bit more work, but I like to be able to have the control, and I especially like not having to wait on things. Because I'm a person, when I have an idea, I'm going to do it and I'm going to start it and I'm going to carry it through and I'm going to finish it. So by self-publishing, it allows me to do that. I never have to wait on anybody to approve artwork or, you know, they have an idea that they want to, to go in, any of that kind of stuff. I have more control uh, over making sure it gets done on the timeline that I want it to be done.
0: Okay. So then are you pretty much looking at just self-publishing and collaborations and stuff like that? Or are you actually potentially being a full-blown game publisher where you're looking at other people's games as well?
1: Well, right now I'm not really in a position to start looking at other games. I would, you know, obviously, you know, if I ever had a hit game or something and was able to do this full time, that's definitely something I would do. But obviously I'm not in a position to do, to do that just yet. But I definitely play a lot of games with a lot of, Uh, designers especially locally here uh, young game designers who have some fantastic designs and it's always in the back of my mind that i would love to publish some of that stuff but right now i have too many ideas of games i want to do so for me to take on other stuff it would have to i would have to be dedicated to it to it full time and i'm just not uh, there yet
0: so do you actually enjoy the publishing side or is it something that you put up with to make sure your designs get out there
1: well it's a double-edged sword some of the stuff i really enjoy i love finding art i love meeting artists and doing that kind of stuff the contract stuff i could do without the fulfillment stuff is not really fun although i've become an expert at using a tape gun um (laughs) you know working in a warehouse isn't my isn't my favorite thing because i'm i'm Kind of anti-manual labor at this point in my life. So there's things about it that I love and there's things about it that, that I don't love. But I've made a decision that if this is something I want to do, I want to do all that stuff, you know, just because I want to learn all those different aspects of the business. Even if it's not something I want to do for the rest of my life, there are areas of the, of the, of getting a product to market that I really want to experience and understand.
0: Richard, do you have any, uh, any desires to take on the publishing side of things ever?
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Richard doesn't he need could,
2: to. <laughs> I'm not. I'm absolutely not interested in publishing. There's a tremendous amount of work. I, I've seen it as Robert's worked on it. I'm good friends with Jason Maxwell, so I've seen it from 8th Summit, their startup, and, and moving forward. And, yeah, I, I mean,. I think that it's a good way to go if if you're a, if you're a young designer and and you really think you can make it in this business to control your own work is the way to go it's a lot of hard work and people have to be dedicated toward it and they also have to make sure they've got all the skill sets that are required you, it it's not just design skills it's it's uh management skills it's financial skills it's it's relationship skills there's a lot to actually being your own publisher.
0: Yeah and that's what a lot of people end up finding out that do especially if they're uh like their first Kickstarter or something like that, and, and they get through that whole process and they go, I just wanted to design a game.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. exactly. And there's so many pieces to it. And, and really, you almost need a business. I think you do need a business background to really be successful at uh, at becoming your own game company. Yep.
0: So you guys alluded to it a little bit, but you guys started having conversations coming out of a convention. Uh, so, how did the collaboration start, and then we'll move into telling us a little bit about what you guys are working on as well.
1: Well, I think I I first met Richard briefly at the first Dice Tower Con, but I was too shy to you know push myself on him at all. So I kind of just said hello, nice to meet you. Yeah, um, I'm re- but- <laughs> I'm real
2: hard to walk up. And meet
1: <laughs> well, you you're not you're not at all, but i i think you know and richard is so approachable and personable but if you don't know richard and you're a young game designer you know and you see oh that's richard lanius you're like wow that's richard lanius you know because so you're because your work kind of precedes you before before you get to know you then we were at i went to uh gnome con in savannah it was and steve avery was there and steve and and richard are good friends and steve introduced us, and we had a great time just playing games. I got to play his Run, Fight, or Die prototype, which I just loved. Richard destroyed my 8-year-old in a Frag. (laughs) 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 He had no mercy on him. So we just had a really great time, and I, I felt comfortable enough to kind of bring out a prototype that was way different at that time. It was just a very abstract, was an abstract strategy game that I had in my mind that I wanted to do. And I think Richard liked it, but, you know, I think he had ideas and he, uh, you know, he took the prototype home. And before I knew it, I got an email from Richard with, you know, here's some things I want to do. And he was very cordial about, you know, I I, I want to change these things, but this is your game. So if you don't like it, just let me know. And the ideas he gave me, I loved. He just brought so much theme into the game and, and that's what he's known for. He brought the theme in because that's really what was missing from the game at that time.
0: Where are you both located, Robert?
1: I'm in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina area. And, yeah, Richard? And, I'm, and I'm in
0: Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. So you guys are doing long-distance collaboration for the most part here.
1: Yeah. it's Well,
2: one of the collaboration things we did was, and really how it started, Robert's already mentioned, I basically we got them playing the game, and I said to him, you know, this is a nice game. I think you can put it on Kickstarter. I think you can sell copies. I said, but the problem is it doesn't feel like dragons fighting. So you know, theme-wise, it just didn't quite work. I didn't think, and and he offered it to me to to make some suggestions. So I took it and basically you know worked on what I thought was my suggestions, and I'd send them back to him, and he would play test, and then he would send me suggestions back, and we kind of would go back and forth, making changes and play testing on on our ends. Although I, I think Robert, your, your people did a lot more play testing, I think, than than done on my side. So the collaboration was really just, I think. Keeping the vision of what the game was going to be and kind of bouncing it back and forth like a pin uh, like a, a, a ping pong ball until it actually felt right at least that's that's kind of how I viewed the process so
1: yeah, it was really one hard thing for an independent designer, especially like myself, is you kind of miss and that's one thing big publishers really offer right is development. They really help develop a game and change things and, and look at it from different angles and from different point of views. And young designers can, you know, make mistakes because they've got these blinders on to their project. And by doing this collaboration with Richard, it really forced us both, I think, to take this game through a development process. And Richard was really laser focused on the theme, which was incredible. And I was really trying to keep the, the strategy elements that spawned the idea at first. And I think we've really accomplished that. The game is definitely very strategic, but it's very thematic. And like Richard said, when, when he told me that it was a revelation for me, he says, you know, Robert, this is a, this is a solid game, but I don't feel like dragons are fighting. And you know what? He was right. But the changes that he's brought into Draco Magi now, you feel like dragons are fighting. And so it was a great collaboration because it kind of replaced that development element that a lot of indie de- des- designers are missing. So it kind of forced that on the game, which was which was fantastic. And he had his groups looking at it. I had my groups looking at it. And we would shoot stuff back and forth, just like Richard said. Until we were like, yeah, that's the way it works. And we weren't happy with, yeah, that's good. We weren't happy until it was like, yes, that's the way it needs to be because it's awesome. So it was a really just a fantastic experience. And it's collaborations after this experience with Richard. I think collaborations are something I'm going to want to do a lot more of because I've learned so much. Now, granted, I'm not probably going to get to work with somebody of Richard's caliber all the time, but, but just that having two people looking at it from different angles makes a huge difference. But you know, there's personalities involved and in all that stuff. But luckily me and Richard, our personalities didn't clash at all, and it was very easy to do. So it was it was a fantastic experience.
2: And let me add, you know, his his humble talk. Don't don't take that as he doesn't have skills, because Robert's loaded with skills. And and really, when we talk about this collaboration, I mean, my first idea, and anybody who knows me will not be shocked about that, is we need to add dice to this thing. So <laughs> you know, so I did, by the way, and I I redesigned a, a lot of pieces to it. I sent it back and the dice worked for part of it but it didn't work for another part of it you know that's where the collaboration worked because you know robert comes back in and, and, and so we started putting some more of his thought process back in about some of the things that he had worked with the original one that the dice kind of and, and ultimately we changed it to a system without dice that really works for every aspect of the game and, and really feels nice in the game now so uh that was very collaborative through through the entire process and 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 I agree, there were several times we could have stopped and said, okay, this game is good enough. And I think there's a lot of games on Kickstarter that are like that because I, I see them or I play them and I'm thinking, you know, they didn't dive, they just didn't dig down deep enough on this. They should have gone to the next level or two levels lower and then they would have really had a truly intriguing game, but it didn't happen in a lot of cases. Whereas this one, every time that I would think we were done, or I'm sure Robert felt the same way, one of us would say, wait a minute, I think this would be better and we'd make another change.
1: Yeah. And I can't tell you how hard that was, <laughs> Jeff, to tell Richard Launius, hey, your dice system's cool, but it's not good enough. But I'll tell you this, that Richard had this other card-driven combat mechanic that he, I don't know, Richard, if I don't even know, it sounds like you already had it in the box, maybe for another game or something, but he pulled this thing out, and that was really what got us on to this card-driven battle mechanics that we have in the game now that drives the the ranged attacks and the melee attacks. The cards are separated into two different sections, and we really worked on that, that mechanic, those card-driven battle mechanics, for a long time. And I think it's something very unique that I hope people are going to like.
0: Well, it sounds like, especially for a first-time collaboration, you guys had a really good, positive experience coming out of it. But were there any hurdles for, especially even maybe it being a long-distance collaboration that you guys had to uh, uh, deal with?
2: I I feel like there was any real issues we had to face. The biggest problem you face with a long-distance collaboration is you're waiting for the other side. So, you know, uh, I would put my piece together or he'd put his piece together. We would think it's really good. But we'd have to wait till after we sent it across and then, you know, they played it and would and, and come back. But in the end, that seemed like that worked very well. So
1: yeah, it did. I think it takes longer. I mean, the timeline stretches out, right? Because you're long distance and you got to play test the changes and all that. So it took longer. But I think the amount of time that you have to add into the development process is worth every second. It really was.
0: Well, neither one of you are strangers to having games on Kickstarter, and it's obvious why, at least to me, I guess, are having conversations that that this one would be going to Kickstarter, because, Robert, you've done some successful ones in the past. But going back to, let's just say, Cartuna, before you brought that on, what was your thought-slash-decision process to say, hey, I'm going to take this to Kickstarter?
1: Well, that was very easy. It was kind of like, okay, well, here's here's my game. I've got my prototype. How much is it going to cost to make? Okay, it's going to cost $20,000. <laughs> uh, do I want to risk $20,000 of my own capital to make this game and see if people actually buy it? Uh, no, but there's this thing called Kickstarter where you can put it out there, and if people like the idea... Then they will pre-buy a copy basically and give you the capital to manufacture it on your own. So it really does kind of eliminate that upfront financial risk, which is great for independent designers like myself. I think Kickstarter was, is kind of there for people just like me where my products really would not exist if it wasn't for Kickstarter because I would not be risking, you know, my family's money uh, on my crazy ideas.
0: Yeah. And, uh, like I said, neither one of you are, are strangers to having games on Kickstarter. And towards the end here, we'll try to circle back around for some lessons that have been learned. And Robert, I know you've even had, like I said, we've, you've had successful campaigns. You've had one unsuccessful one that was relaunched and very successful. So maybe you can give us some hints and tips on that as well. But for right now, how about we, uh, tell the people what Draco Magi is?
1: Draco Magi, it's a two player card game and it is a dragon theme. And the whole premise is that, you know, the the Draco Magi or the dragon king has died and you are one of his apprentices who is trying to rise to power. And to get there, you have to compete by commanding dragons to different battlefields across the lands to collect magical gems. So you have to collect to win the game. You need to collect Three gems of a different color or three gems of the same color, basically. So there's a a bunch of different phases in the game. The first phase, after you draw your dragon cards, you are going to lay out three battlefield cards. So they're they're different landscapes. It might be the fire lands or the dark lands. And Richard came up with all these (laughs) great lands in the thing, the deep forest, the swamp lands. So each one of those battlefields gives a modifier a plus or a minus to different dragon types, depending on what kind of weapons they have, and it's very, very thematic the way that works. But then you're going to place your dragons, and you have eight dragons in your hand, and you have to place them on the those three battlefields alternating players. Uh, When you play a dragon to a, a battlefield, when that dragon is flying in to that desert, for example, he gets a ranged attack if he has a breath weapon. So at that point is when you can use your ranged attack against your opponent if they have dragons already on that battlefield so you're really trying and different dragons do different things all the battlefields are double-sided so half of the cards uh if you flip the battlefield over there's a different color gem the other half it's a different battlefield with the same color gem so like the bronze dragon for example has an ability of blink which lets you flip that battlefield over So that's kind of a strategic element in the game. But every dragon fits a role, and it has a different ability. So, for example, the silver dragon is immune to ranged attacks because of its reflective scales. So when you're placing your first dragon, you want to make sure you're placing a dragon that's got a high armor value, or that silver dragon is a great one to play first because he's immune to ranged attacks and you're not putting yourself out in the open. But all the dragons, and there's 10 different dragons in the base game, and we have some expansion dragons in the pipe already, but they all fit a different role, whether if it's a defensive role or an offensive role or a strategic role. So you really need to learn how to place those dragons to prepare for the next phase, which is the melee phase. So every dragon has a melee ability. How strong is it with its claws and its teeth? when it's fighting other dragons. And depending on uh, the dragons on that battlefield, you're going to draw a number of battle cards equal to the melee value of all the dragons on that battlefield. And that becomes a real kind of cat and mouse battle. Uh, and that's the, the the battle system that Richard designed. And what I added to that was a combo system. So these cards have uh, different symbols on them. So you could combo attack. So I could play You know, a bite and a bite and a claw, for example, because they all have that set the same symbol, the combo symbol. However, you've got to be careful because your opponent, there's also each player starts with two flight cards. If they play a flight card, they can avoid the attack altogether. So it's really about managing your cards because you don't want to burn more cards than your opponent because the cards is what's going to win you that melee battle. But when your opponent is down, burning, doing those combos can really win you that battlefield and get you that gem so you know after the melee phase is complete whoever won a battlefield collects the card and the associated gem that's printed on the card um and then when that melee battle is done you go into the next round but as soon as one person has three gems of a different color or the same color they immediately win the game and become uh the draco magi now i'm missing a lot of stuff in there but basically that's how the game works
0: and how long does it typically play? I'd say it's a
1: 30-minute game once you know how to play it, 30, okay. maybe a little more. 25, 35 minutes is usually where yeah. it runs. And, and and the
2: real interesting part, he talked about it, but I'm not sure the, the listeners can really get it. As you're dealing these battle cards, both players have their own individual deck of battle cards. They're identical at the start of the game. Each will go through a draft process where they will draft from these advanced battle cards. So you'll end up adding two advanced cards into your deck, which are very, very different, but they are much higher powered than the base ones. So as you you, so you so have a little bit of a deck-building mechanic in this. So uh, yep. gold dragons, if they make a ranged attack, for example, will get you another one of these. Uh, successfully, they'll, they'll get you another one of these cards. In between each round, you'll get another one of these cards. These cards will add some real flair to the game, and it's very strategic because you basically have to counter with what you're being attacked so if i played a combo of two bites as he mentioned and a claw you would have to either counter with a flight that would get totally away from it or two bites and a claw back that you were able to combo also so the combat really comes down to you've got magical combat which is interesting because it allows both sides to draw a card again you've got a claw attack bite attack you've got flight and then there's a, a lot of special combinations that are in there in the advanced deck and it really becomes a very strategic game in how you play your cards how much to attack how much to hold back because uh, they're clearly in the end what you're hoping to do is eliminate enough of his dragons so that you've got the most dragons on that battlefield at the end of the melee round to claim that battle yeah
0: and Draco Magi has a Facebook page. We'll include that in the show notes. And one of the things that you've been showing off on the Facebook page quite a bit is the wonderful art. I mean, the art for this game is absolutely gorgeous. It just completely draws you in. Uh, who do you have doing uh, art for you?
1: The art is done by Karem Bayet. He is an artist out of Turkey. And when I first saw his dragons, it kind of blew me away and he he's done work for Pathfinder and Lizard and Wizards of the Coast and Lucas Arts and Disney and I mean he's a he's a very successful illustrator so I didn't think there was any way I could get him but I got in touch with them and the art's going to be expensive but I'm paying for that art because these are the coolest-looking dragon illustrations I think I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of dragons (laughs) in my my day.
2: All the cards in the game are are just as beautiful as the dragons that have been posed in the battlefield. So
1: this is going to be a beautiful game to look at. Yep. And the graphic design, I should mention, is by Luis Francisco. He's been my graphic designer for my other games as well, and he's done Coup and The Resistance and Flashpoint Fire Rescue. And he's come up with some great iconography and really his graphic design is really helping to highlight that artwork and the mechanics of the game. So he's done a really fantastic job as well.
0: I've seen the Facebook page. I follow the Facebook page and it is absolutely beautiful. And like I said, I'll put it in the show notes. Definitely go check it out if you're not already. I know I've already pointed a couple of listeners to it that I know are big Dragon fans and, uh, and I've been told that I'm getting a few of my listeners in trouble with their significant others for showing them that this game is coming down the pipe. <laughs> uh, but that's a risk I'm willing to take. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything coming into this Kickstarter that you might be doing a little bit different?
1: As far as the campaign itself? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm getting some help there as well from besides Richard. You know, there's a lot of people involved with this project besides me and Richard, but I'm working with Cool Stuff Inc. on this and I'm going to be partnering with Cool Stuff Inc. So they're going to be helping me with the manufacturing and the fulfillment. And Shane there at Cool Stuff Inc. has been really fantastic with his ideas on stretch goals and things like that. So we're trying to come up. With something that is going to be really compelling for backers who choose to back us on Kickstarter. We don't just want to put it up there at full MSRP and, you know, expect people to give us money. We want to make sure it's a, they have a compelling reason to back this Kickstarter and not wait for it to be out in stores. So we are looking at a lot of different options right now. We're looking at a lot of different stretch goal things that we can do. And we're looking at price points, too. And I can't say anything yet on the the price points, but we're trying to get those. We're trying to find savings everywhere we can to get the price point on this game as low as we can get it. And Shane is looking into that right now. But things are looking pretty good as far as the the price point that we might be able to offer this game.
0: And that was actually something that you and I had talked about earlier on Facebook. And we had talked about Possibly, uh, if it worked out, having cool stuff on here. But this is something that they're looking at doing more of in the future. So you guys are kind of a, a, a launching point for for them getting more involved in Kickstarter.
1: Uh, yeah, cool stuff Inc. Well, yes. I'd have to let them speak for themselves. Yeah. <laughs> but I know, I know, Richard has been. Uh, I I think uh, Run Fighter Die was wasn't that with uh, Cool <laughs> uh, Stuff was involved in that.
2: Correct. Uh, Run Fighter Dies with Eighth Summit. Nate Summit's partnered. On a couple of games, I, I think the, their Expedition game that just came out, it also is a, a beautiful new game that uh, hopefully people are are, are buying. But uh, then Run, Fight, or Die is how I've been working with them. So they've been a part of, of that process.
0: You know, since I have uh, both of you here, both designers, both uh, that have done things that have been on Kickstarter, this is a question I, I think I probably need to start asking a little bit more. Kickstarter has been a great way to get new games out to people and to get them out into the world but has it also changed how you design a little bit from the aspect of people expect stretch goals now
1: no not really when you're designing a game you're not thinking about stretch goals at all Mm -hmm. Uh, now there might be certain things or certain pieces of art that you say no that's we're we're not going to use that we're going to use this But it could be in the back of your mind. But wait a minute. That we really love that. We like this one better, but we still like that. So maybe that would be a good stretch goal or an add-on if we do a Kickstarter with it. So those kind of things come up in your, in, in your mind. But when you're designing the game, that's not, that doesn't enter the, the sphere of what you're thinking about. No, and
2: I I would I would agree. I mean I've I've had several Kickstarters now with companies and to be honest with you, I'd prefer they didn't go on Kickstarter. I understand how smaller companies like Roberts and certainly eight summits just starting out needs to, but for a designer it poses a lot of problems because I try to design a game now I do design a lot of games that can be expandable so I can go back and put additional things in but traditionally I've got to go back into a game I've designed you know 1 2 years ago 16 months ago or whatever the case is and now start designing new pieces to be used as you know some kind of rewards So for me, it's kind of a distraction to have to go back and do that all the time. I see Kickstarter both as a positive because it does enable small companies to start up and get going. But I will also say I think it can start to become a problem because larger companies are starting to use it more and more all the time kind of as a pre-order, And it's, in my opinion, it slows the games coming down. And it does kind of, as a designer, drive me back to the product to have to do additional
0: stuff. Yeah, I guess that's part of what i was kind of getting at the stretch goal thing is just it's expected at this point there's i mean why why don't you have stretch goals kind of thing so it seems like you almost have to have extras off to the side by the time you get there and kind of like what you were saying richard is and for you because you're not actually running the kickstarter so you're not fresh out of the design you've actually shopped all of your designs around and somebody else's Picking them up, so yeah, you're you're coming back in, like you said, cold, and trying to redesign something uh, and, and refamiliarize yourself with the game to design something to put in it. So yeah, that's, and, yeah.
2: and the other the other piece is at least for me, and I, I look at Kickstarter because it's a phenomenon. To be honest with you, I mean, I look and I see people have backed 200 230 projects in the last two years, and I scratch my head at that because that's a huge investment. Because I'll see, you know, they're investing in something they haven't gotten yet, but Then I'll watch on BGG, and they'll post, is it worth $35 to buy Elder Sign? I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) But the phenomenon out there, I think, is that there is this expectation that there's going to be all this additional stuff. The one thing I personally am not going to do as a designer is take valuable things out of a game so they can be put back in during Kickstarter. I'm going to design the game the way the game should be played. Additionally, I'm not going to allow just fluff stuff to go into the game. These right. ideas of well, we're just going to add a card and it doesn't really do anything, but you know, it's got somebody's name on it. <laughs> on the, or the other, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not really agreeing to that. In fact, I have told some people who host a Kickstarter no to some of the stuff they sold. And They've said to me, well, you know, this person paid two thousand dollars. I've said, give them back the money. I'm not agreeing to to this change. And you know, Kickstarter, as I said, can be a great resource for somebody starting out, a young company starting out but i but i'm personally hoping that it doesn't become something that every company uses as a pre-order
0: system. Yeah, there's a huge back and forth on that right now, right? I mean, from a business aspect, you can't fault them. You understand why. But it, there is that whole this started off as, you know, people like Robert being able to get his company up and off the ground and get his designs out there as an indie designer and I love supporting that kind of stuff, but at the same time, my business sense says, yeah, I don't know 100% how I feel about it, but I understand it. <laughs> right,
2: right, and and that's right. kind of, that's how I'm looking at it. I'm not positioning my, I mean, it has good aspects, it has bad aspects, but it definitely has changed the industry. And I, I think that's, you can't yeah. ignore it for
1: that reason. And Jeff, the tough thing is really kind of making that, that decision it really is a tough decision like we've got two battlefields and four dragons that we've play tested all the way through this process that i initially had wanted to do you know, like a mini booster kind of expansion that people could buy but now the debate is well you know do you make that a kickstarter exclusive or do you make it stretch goals and add it to the game because it should be there anyway and no matter which way you go, you're gonna make somebody mad. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like inevitable. No matter what decision you make, there's gonna be some post on BGG about these people that are not happy with the decision that you made. So it's it's a tough thing, and I'm really trying to really talk that through with the people who've been following the project, and talk it through with you know with Cool Stuff Inc. to make sure we make the right decision. Both right, for the for the uh, customers the way, and yeah. for getting the and getting the game funded too, because that's important, right? You got to get the game funded, or it's not going to exist at all.
2: all right, and, and Robert, you're your publisher, so you can decide what you want to do on this. I, I've taken a, uh, the position with the last two or three is that I, I really don't want exclusives. I, I don't I don't mind that they're getting something that may not come out for a year later as an expansion or something like that, so they get it earlier. But one of the problems that I found with exclusives is it makes the sales of the game not happen after the game's on the market because people want all they 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 consider it a complete game with the exclusives and not a complete game without. So exclusives, in my mind, are starting to become somewhat of a problem from a designer perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and you kind of almost start a secondary market. So you 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 might actually get a decent amount of funding because you're getting people buying multiple copies, but those multiple copies are people that just got their copy because it has exclusive stuff in it. You're seeing those go for uh, a a mint elsewhere.
1: Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's very and I you know, I understand both sides of it. And you know, the other side is that hey, a lot of people will not if there's no exclusives in a Kickstarter, why should they pledge? They'll just wait for it to come out, right? And then they'll buy it for you know, they'll buy it from their local game store on online. So it's kind of that thing that nudges people to say, Yeah, well I better I better back it because I want that extra whatever it is thing.
0: Yeah, that, that's the big debate today. That, I mean, it used to be, uh, well, and it's still, I mean, there, there's still the conversation of big guy versus little guy. That's all still happening. But I think the big conversation today and, and one that I've had several times with people too that have asked is, what you're talking about is add-ons and exclusives and should it be in every copy and you, all right. of those conversations are happening a lot more frequently right now as people are starting to kind of come forward and say uh, opinion one way or the other on exclusives versus add-ons
1: maybe we should have a maybe we should figure this out right now and <laughs> <laughs> set a standard and, let, and set a standard and let everybody know you know i kind of have an idea how about if you did an exclusive that's exclusive for just a year. So that way, people in the future will be able to get the things, but they're not going to get it for a year. So that gives well, I, all the Kickstarter backers uh, an incentive. Kind
2: of, yeah, I think that's the kind of thing that, you know, my perspective is that a good game design should never restrict important parts of the game so that part of the audience can't get it. Therefore, in my mind, exclusives should be out unless they're worthless. And if they're worthless, who wants them anyway? So the reality of it is, I see where you might not say this isn't going to be sold until a year later or you get it much cheaper. You know, you get it in advance and you get it cheaper and so on and so forth. But I'm less, I'm, well, I'm not even less. I'm, I'm, I'm actually have come to where I see exclusives as basically making the product inferior to what it would be if they weren't exclusives.
1: Yeah. I think another way you can do it too, to kind of, to spur those kind of get people to pledge for the project so you can make it is to not make them exclusive but make them a stretch goal right so if you reach this certain amount we're going to give you a dragon mini instead of uh, you know a first player token or whatever you're giving them a reason uh, to back it now because it's going to make the game better for everybody I don't think that's as powerful as people getting something they know they can't get any other way but it is a way you can kind of you know get people to to get behind a project instead of waiting for it to be on shows
0: so we were talking earlier you don't have a specific launch date yet just you're you're working towards it but you want to want to launch draco magi in january correct we should be looking for it in january here
1: you should be looking for it this month All right. or i would say the first week of february at the latest yep
0: we talked earlier that you're some of the stuff that you're waiting for is the video to to kind of complete out, but also that you're going to be sending out review copies so people can hear opinions of some of the reviewers as well, correct?
1: Yeah, I want to make sure that, you know, the people who are getting copies to review, you know, if they come back and say, hey, you know, we can't get this done for, you know, until February, that will tell me, you know, I could still launch it. I just want to make sure that the project is running uh, when those reviews come out so people can make a, a more informed decision. So I want, I'm trying to make sure all those little things line up um, before I click that launch button on the project to make sure I give it the best chance it can have to succeed.
0: When you do launch, how much are you going to be looking for?
1: I don't know. All right. so right, putting that together. Okay. <laughs> that's one of the things. That's one of the things that's, oh, I was talking about that earlier that we're looking right now at ways how we're going to get the, the cost down as, as low as possible. But if we can get it to the price point that we're trying to, I think it'll be a, it'll be a new story.
0: All right. So, uh, again, Draco Magi, we're going to be looking for that here in January or early February. Absolutely beautiful game. I can't stress it enough how gorgeous it looks. And the gameplay is very intriguing. So I'm looking forward to, uh, seeing and hearing opinions. Uh, right, guys. How about do you have Robert? Let's we'll start with you. Do you have any Kickstarter lessons that you would like to share with our audience?
1: Oh, well, let, I'll give you my biggest, my newest Kickstarter lesson that every Kickstarter needs to know. You know, shipping is a big issue with Kickstarter. Shipping is very expensive when you're talking about international shipping, especially. And I know that uh, Stonemyer Games has written some great blogs on how you can, you know, drop ship stuff to like Amazon Fulfillment. In the UK, for example, to have them ship stuff out, and you can do that in different countries. But one problem I've had with Battle for Souls, which is my recent game that just went out, is Brazil. Brazil is a problem. (laughs) (laughs) I've got so many packages in Brazil, they were shipped first class to Brazil. So we're talking about almost $30 to ship the game uh, to Brazil. And it's two months later, and I've got a lot of people that haven't gotten it. So I've been doing some research, and I've come to find out that, yeah, you ship first class to Brazil. Who knows? I mean, they could get it next. They could get it in a month. They could get it in four months. You know, maybe somebody stole it. You know, who knows? Maybe it just disappears into the void. So that's a problem because now, you know, to make sure your backers in Brazil get your game, you've got to ship it priority mail. So the difference there is now you're over $40 to ship it to Brazil. So if you've got a $40 game, you've got to ask your Brazilian customers to pay $40 to guarantee that they're going to get that game. Um and if it, if you ship it first class, you're not going to get a refund or anything if it doesn't if they never get it. So now that I've shipped these games there if they don't get it, you know, that's $30 gone for the shipping plus the cost of the game. And now if I ship them another one, it's going to cost another $40 and something. So really uh, make sure you understand the, the different countries that you're shipping to and the issues in in those countries because it can be an expense. It could be one of those unplanned expenses that can hit you uh, down the road. Uh, so that's that's my newest Kickstarter lesson that I've learned.
0: Richard, do you have anything? I know you haven't uh, run the Kickstarters yourself, but you've worked with quite a few people that have Kickstarted games that you've designed.
2: Well, you know, obviously, I, I think most people already know a number of the lessons that are out there, but one of the things that's becoming more clear to me on the last Kickstarters I've seen is 30 days is just way too long for a Kickstarter campaign. You draw a lot of people the first eight days or so. Then you go into this lull where you get a few, and they some cancel, some buy, some cancel, some buy. Then you get this rush the last four or five days. My personal opinion is that most Kickstarter campaigns should be 15 days.
1: And, Jeff, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to take Richard's advice on that, and Draco Magi is going to be a very short campaign. I'm thinking 20 days, uh, and we're going to see if Richard is right.
0: Okay.
2: It's a test.
1: Yes.
0: Well, I, you know, we, we've, we've seen quite a few, uh, short campaigns come along, but they're usually for, uh, smaller games. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see because you're right. There is that, there is that nice, you know, U shape, uh, that happens with any campaign. So we'll cut in any of the time, cut that U shape down or, uh, potentially get you more funding. It'll be interesting to see.
2: I, I think one of the keys is if you have a good campaign when you start with, you've got the product, you've got the right videos, you've got the right, all the right information. You got the review feedback. You know all that type of stuff. If you've got all that, then the key is to make sure you've got you you gather eyes through some kind of marketing and visibility, and and that's going to be the key to whether it's successful or not. The length, I'm not sure it really adds that much.
1: And I hope Richard's right. I'm praying that Richard <laughs> is right. I really right. am. Because oh, that long period in the middle is just horrible. It's it's just as stressful as the launch and the ending, but it is just nerve-wracking and painful. So I would love to eliminate <laughs> that.
0: And, you know, Robert, you and I belong to some of the same groups and stuff on Facebook. How helpful and how important is the feedback that you've been getting from the community?
1: Oh, it's it's essential, right? You know, and not... You know, because you're always, if you're reading, if you're involved, if you're immersed in this stuff, you're going to absorb stuff. You're going to learn stuff. Even if it's just an idea that you want to go try yourself, you go and try it. And see for yourself if it works or not. So I think it's just a great, that's what I, one thing I love about board game design is the community, this community that I've become part of now. And, and as a publisher, those communities are, exist on Facebook and Board Game Geek and all these places and you can learn this stuff and you'll find so many people and this community that are willing to share that knowledge, which is amazing to me. And most businesses, they, they hoard it and they keep it to themselves. Like it's, you know, proprietary information that will bring down your company. But these small indie designers and these small indie publishers and even people like Richard who have these huge games with, you know, fantasy flight, they're so willing to help. I, you know, I was flabbergasted when Richard said he'd actually want to work on my game with me. I thought I was having a. A dream or something but that, that that's the way this community is and that's why i want to stay a part of it it's just uh incredible
0: yeah i've been trying to stress quite a bit that there's a, there's no reason for anybody to go completely blind into the kickstarter anymore the community and the information is out there yep okay Let's end on this note. Uh, I'll start with Richard, and then we'll turn it over to Robert. But let's say somebody is, let's say Draco Magi has launched on Kickstarter. Somebody's checking it out, and they're like, yeah, I might be interested in this. What is like one or two things that you think they need to know to make them go, you're right, I have to back this project?
2: I think it's just one of the truly great little filler games because it's only going to run about a half an hour or so. It's got a lot of strategy in it, both in how you play your dragons, how you play your battle cards, and it's beautiful to look at in the process. So, you know, people who love to play two-player games, I, I think this is going to be fantastic. For
1: okay. Robert? I don't know. I, I have a hard time t- <laughs> talking up my stuff uh, my my stuff sometimes, but I-, I agree with Richard. I think the price point is going to be compelling. The game, I think, is compelling. The artwork is amazing, so I, I think it's really has come together. Richard has brought so much theme into this game, where everything you do, you really feel like you're taking part in a a battle be- between dragons. Like you're really commanding dragons on on the battlefield. The way he's incorporated all the mechanics here, it really is they're tied to the theme very strongly, um, and that's an unusual thing I think for a game that has so much strategy involved in it. And so that's one thing we're really hoping that this can satisfy is hit that niche where it's a, it's a it's got real strategy, but it's also very thematic. We're hoping that comes across. And I think it does.
0: Excellent. All right, well, we're getting close to the end of our time here. So Richard, Robert, I want to thank both of you guys for coming and hanging out with me and having this conversation. It's been a blast.
1: Thank you, sir. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. Thank you for inviting us.
0: Yeah, and feel free to come back anytime. You guys have a wealth of knowledge that I'd uh, love to pick at a future date. All right, Draco Magi is coming to Kickstarter. Again, uh, either in January here or right at the beginning of February. Check out the show notes so you can go check out the Facebook page, and uh, I'll link up to Robert's page and all that good stuff. Yeah, Definitely something to check out and keep an eye on and when it comes out give them some love and back the project thanks goodbye thanks
1: thanks. You. thanks jeff